Well, what today's readings do for us, especially the first one and the second one, or first one and the last one, is remind us that there is this epic cosmic battle that began with the beginning of time between good and evil, between God and Satan. And I I stumbled across this stupid picture of Jesus arm wrestling Satan. And I looked at this picture, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's ridiculous. I mean, it, it looks like, it gives the impression that they're equals in this battle. In fact, actually, Satan has bigger muscles than Jesus does. And you're wondering, like, okay, who's going to win the arm wrestling match as if it's that trite? So let's just set things straight right off the get-go. God is God. Jesus is God. He is the Almighty One. He, the Creator, the One who is Lord over all. There is no one equal to our God. Satan and God are not equals wrestling this out. Satan's a creature. He's a fallen angel that God created, but Satan rebelled against him, and he cannot win. Sometimes we give him too much power. He's powerful, but sometimes we give him too much power over our lives. He cannot win. He is defeated. In the very middle of the gospel reading, Jesus says this rather peculiar thing. No one can enter a strong man's house to plunder his property unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can plunder the house. So the question is, who's the strong man who's got to be tied up? It's interesting, in just a couple more chapters in Mark, there's this story of Jesus encountering a man with unclean spirit. And it says this about that man. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but He wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. He's a strong man. No one could subdue him except Jesus. Jesus is, of course, stronger, and he literally plunders the house, casting a legion of demons out of this man. But then as we read further on in Mark and get towards the end of the gospel, it seems like the tables turn a bit. It's Jesus who's later seized, and he's bound, all to be executed on a cross. And now it looks like Jesus is the strong man who is bound by Satan. But of course, I think most of us know how the story goes. This is a trick. Jesus is tricking Satan. He's going to beat him at his own game. Here's Satan's game. Satan has a chain called death. And that chain wraps us up and it binds us up. We cannot escape it. We can't escape it. We can't break the chain. We're all going to die. And see, that begins to mess with our minds, doesn't it? It, 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 it? The fear of death warps our thinking and it warps our priorities, our motivations. I think only about myself because I'm going to die. So I'm going to get as much as I can. Survival of the fittest. And so what Jesus does is he allows himself to be bound with our chains of death. He's bound up with the very thing that Satan uses to control us and to manipulate us. And then Jesus, as we say in the Apostles' Creed, descends to hell. He goes into Satan's house, his house of death. But of course, the chains cannot contain Jesus. Hell cannot contain Jesus. He's the Lord of life. And so there in Satan's own house, Jesus announces his victory and he binds up that strong man. 
If you notice in this icon of the resurrection, see this guy like that right down here where I'm pointing? This wee little guy is all bound up with chains. Guess who that is? That's Satan under the feet of Jesus. Jesus plunders the house, the house that was filled with death, and he pulls us up out of the grave back into life. As Jesus bursts forth from his grave on, on Easter Sunday, he shatters the chains of death. You probably can't see this where you're at. If you notice all this little, uh, I don't know, pixelation down here in the blue part, if you looked up and you could see it closer, these are all a bunch of broken links of chain. Broken because Jesus has broken the chains of death. We are set free from death. So if this is true, yes, we will die, but we know we will live forever. So then what can Satan do to us? I mean, he can snarl at us all he wants, but he cannot win. Jesus has set us free. What looked, of course, like his defeat at first, we know is his victory. The snake struck his heel with venom, but he crushed the head of the serpent. Jesus is using Satan's own game against him. And that reminded me, of how Luke Skywalker beats Kylo Ren in the latest episode of Star Wars. I don't know, how many of you have seen episode 8? Oh, we've got to catch up a few of you here I see this morning. All right. So in episode 8, Luke Skywalker is fighting Kylo Ren. Remember, Darth Vader is gone. He's dead back in episode 6. So now in episode 8, there's a new villain, Kylo Ren, and Luke is going to fight him, Luke's old Luke Skywalker, and this is how he defeats him. So if we can hit the lights, and let's take a look at this. All right, so again, those of you who haven't seen it, what's going on here? Well, if you've got old, crusty Jedi Luke, who at first seems like no match for the younger, stronger Kylo Ren, but what he does is he tricks him through a, a use of the Force. Luke causes an apparition of himself to appear before Kylo Ren and to, and to fight him. And what looks like defeat at first, right? Kylo strikes him down. 
And in fact, by using the force this way, and you notice the very last scene, Luke does sacrifice his life to do this. It cost him everything to do this. But it looks like his defeat, and it's actually his victory. Because if we would have watched on a little bit further in the scene, what is taking place while Luke is distracting Kylo and trapping him in his own anger and in his own hatred. Meanwhile, in that cave behind them was Leia and Chewbacca and Rey, the new heroine, and they are escaping what was death. They were going to be killed. And so the resistance, the rebels, live on another day. Now, of course, where this analogy breaks down in probably several places, but where it really breaks down in our, what I'm trying to say is that Jesus is no mere apparition. Our God came in the flesh to fight Satan and to die our death, a very real human death, and to defeat him. And this was precisely what was so hard for people to believe in his time, that Jesus of Nazareth is God in the flesh. And that takes us back to our story today. Because you see, when the carpenter was doing godlike things, he was doing miracles, and he was preaching with great authority, when he was acting like he's God, they just couldn't believe it. Even his friends come and they say, huh, he's, he's out of his mind. He's cray-cray. He's loco in the cabeza, man. I mean, he is nuts. But even worse, the religious leaders, the experts in the Bible and in the Scriptures come and say, oh, no, no, he is possessed by Beelzebub. He is the prince of demons is working in this guy. He's casting out demons by the prince of demons. Now, Beelzebub may make, make us think of these guys, those of us who remember the 70s and 80s, the band Queen, and their very famous song, Bohemian Rhapsody. If you remember, Freddie Mercury sings, Beelzebub has a devil put aside for me. For me, for me. You know how he sings it, right? Only Freddie can sing it that way. Well, know the song. I'm not really sure. I don't think anybody really knows what Freddie Mercury meant by Beelzebub has a devil put aside for me. But that's besides the point for today. The time, at the time of Jesus, this is a name that was associated with Satan. It actually comes from a false god in the Old Testament. 2 Kings 1 verse 2 says, Ahaziah, the king of Israel, who should have believed in the Lord, fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria, and he lay sick. And so he sent messengers telling them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, god of the Philistines, whether I shall recover from this sickness. Now here's what's interesting. That false god's name was actually Beelzebul, like what they say Jesus is possessed by Beelzebul. And that means Baal, the false god, is prince. But it would appear that the writer of Second Kings is actually slamming that false god and calls him Beelzebub, which means Lord of Flies. And the point is that any false god is no god. There is no other god. There is only one god, and everything else is a deception of Satan. And so what these religious leaders were doing is they were slamming Jesus, saying that he is possessed by Beelzebul and that he is working for the prince of demons because they just cannot accept that he is God. And just like we do in modern politics today, if you want to win the election, what do you do? You don't have an honest, meaningful debate about the issues. Oh, no, 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 no. Nobody cares about the truth. You just attack the other person's character. And why do you do that? Because then we don't have to listen to him. He's crazy. He's demon-possessed. Forget about him. 
But Jesus speaks the truth. And he knows what they're doing, and so he speaks the truth. Amen, I say to you. All sin and all blasphemies that people utter will be forgiven them, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never have forgiveness, but he is guilty of an everlasting sin, for they said he has an unclean spirit. What's Jesus saying? What is blasphemy? Well, it's when you say or you do something in defiant hostility against God. It's when you know the truth and you stubbornly resist and you refuse to listen and when you reject God and therefore you lash out at him. But then Jesus says, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit especially is guilty of an everlasting sin that will never be forgiven. What does he mean? This what infamous sin against the Holy Spirit. We've always been trying to figure out, what what is it? Well, it is not one sin in particular. When, for example, though, Jesus does this. Here's an example. He's casting out these demons, and it's an obvious sign that God is working and defeating Satan, but instead, you refuse to believe it. And you say, no, no, he has an unclean spirit, when in fact, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Friends, it's any time we reject the work of the Holy Spirit and that we won't let him into our heart. And if we continue to do this and if we continue to resist him, then how can he forgive us? If we resist the Holy Spirit, what's there to do? The unforgivable, eternal sin is continuously rejecting the Holy Spirit through Jesus. It's refusing to let him in. C.S. Lewis famously said that Jesus is either a lunatic, a liar, or he is the Lord. And I doubt any of us here this morning would say, oh, he's a lunatic, he's a liar, he's demon-possessed. But would we really say he's the Lord? Well, oh yeah, of course I'd say he's the Lord. I believe in Jesus, he's the Lord. Yeah, yeah, okay, great. Friends, it's not just believing that Jesus is the Lord. It's living as if he is your Lord, because he is. It means that we must accept the absolute authority of Jesus Christ in our lives, in everything, everything he has done, everything he has said. I don't know about that. None of us here would say, oh, Jesus is crazy, but we would look at some of the things that he says or some of the things that he expects of us and say, that's crazy. He, I can't really do that. He demands too much from me. What he says, that's too old-fashioned. No, forget it. That's nuts. Can't there be some middle ground, you know, gray area? We like shady gray area, right? We'd rather not have to decide or do something about it. Or maybe we believe nothing can be done. We'd rather play a helpless victim. We are locked up in a sin. We are bound by a sin. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a terrible attitude about something. And we're stuck there. We can't seem to break free. We don't believe that anything can be done or that we can be broken free. Or even worse, maybe we don't want to be set free. We don't want to change. All of it dangerously resists The Holy Spirit. Satan is strong. Death is strong. Sin is strong. But Jesus is the Almighty. The Lord of life. 
who is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he has defeated all of these enemies, and he comes to set us free. Is he your Lord? Because you see, it's either or. There is no gray area or middle ground. It's either or. It's either Jesus or Satan. And God asks a question of Adam in that very first reading. He comes to him and he says, where are you? He asks the question of you and me this morning. Where are you? Where are you? 